burning brighter somewhere. Got to be birds flying higher in a sky more blue. Good morning. Welcome to Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. I'm your host, Steve Copeland, and thank you for tuning in. Let's have a great day. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, let's do that. Let's have a great day. Before we get started, I'd like to read you something that my wife put in my hands the other day. It's from a Joyce Meyer devotional, The Power of Being Thankful. Here it goes. Have you ever stopped to think about how much you have to be thankful for? If you woke up this morning with more body parts that don't hurt than those that do, you are blessed. If you have food, clothes, and a place to live, you are more secure than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, or spare change at home, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest people. If you have ever experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 500 million people in the world. If you read this message, you are more blessed than 2 billion people in the world who cannot read. Don't overlook any blessing. Thank God every day for His goodness in your life. Really, I think we all should just approach every single day and be thankful. Well, today is a very special day for me for many reasons. My father, who I've talked about on the show, he had a heart attack last week, and he was in intensive care for a couple days, but he's doing remarkably well. He's no longer in intensive care. He's been moved to a rehabilitation center for the next couple weeks while he regains his strength. And I just uh, want to thank God for taking such good care of my dad. Over the last couple of weeks, I've introduced y'all to Johnny Thomas, a 25-year-old young man who's trying to find his purpose. And I brought him on the show, and we talked about what he goes through in life. And I just want to give you an old update on Johnny. He has a job now, and he's finished his first week. He's going to get a paycheck in a couple of days. And he's gone over to Tidewater Community College, and he's going to be starting classes in a couple weeks. And I just want to tell you that hooking up with somebody that I have the ability to help move forward is a blessing for me. And Johnny went over to the Achievable Dream Academy with me last week, the high school that I, that I go and teach financial literacy. And, and he went over there to speak to the kids. Now, he's 25 years old. Those kids are 15, and it was a very, very interesting session to have Johnny speak to them about things that they need to do. And two things that stand out in my mind that Johnny gave those kids as advice was, one, if you want to learn, you need to sit closer to the front. You don't want to sit in the back of the class, being the class clown, not paying attention, doing text messaging, you need to be more engaged with the teacher, sit closer to the front. And the other thing that he said that I thought was really, really wonderful, he let them know that they need to read. Read anything. Just read. Well, 
What I'm going to tell you now ties right into today's program. I gave Johnny a copy of Napoleon Hill's book, Outwitting the Devil, and it changed his life. He got so excited reading that book, and, and we started into a daily interaction where, where he wanted to be with me, where we could move forward and try to help navigate some of the hardships that he has. And he gave a confession to me on the way home from an Achievable Dream Academy. Johnny told me that that was the first book that he has ever read in his life that wasn't a required reading assignment. Now, I got I to I gotta stop and process that. Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill changed Johnny's life, and it was the very first book that he's ever read all the way through that was not a required reading. So with that said, that's a thank you to Napoleon Hill, to the Napoleon Hill Foundation, and I am so happy that right now we're going to have Don Green is my guest today, and he was on the show a month ago. He was on the show on uh, March the 23rd, and he agreed to come back because the conversation was so enlightening. And today's show, we're going to be talking about the mastermind group that was started by Napoleon Hill almost 90 years ago. So with that said, I want to, I want to tell you that Don Green, the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, we went through his background and we talked about a book that he's written himself called Everything I Know About Success. I learned from Napoleon Hill, a bestseller. I read that book after I interviewed Don, and it's as good an introduction to Napoleon Hill. And right now, I'm going to bring Don on. Don, are you there? Yes. Don, thanks for being on the show today. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be on, Steve. There's, there's something I'd like to tell the listeners that I think is very important. I was talking to my wife this morning, and she was asking me about the show. And I said, well... I got to tell you, sweetheart, today's show is as, is as, as much of what I want to do as I'll ever get to. I've got what I consider to be a friend of mine who is the world's foremost expert on Napoleon Hill and the mastermind group. And so what an opportunity for me to have not just somebody that's knowledgeable, but somebody that I believe is the world's, not, not, not the city, not the country, but the world's foremost expert on the subject that we're going to speak on today. So because of that, I want to let Don lead the conversation because he's going to, he's going to share with us a lot about the mastermind group. So Don, uh, you want to just talk about that and then I'll ask questions as we proceed? Uh, yes, I'll be more glad to. Uh, in of course, he wrote about the mastermind a lot of different places. Uh, in Think and Grow Rich, uh, actually the, the working title he worked with was thir it's 13 Steps to Riches. The ninth step was called the mastermind uh, principle. Actually, as the chapter is part of the mastermind. He'll, he'll tell us, you know, we, we, make, we have this purpose and we have these plans, but he said the plans were uh, inert 
that were inert and uh, useless without sufficient power to translate them into action. And that's where he talked about the powers defined by an organized and intelligent directed knowledge. And that's where the mastermind comes in. It's powers required for the accumulation of money, but also power is, is required for the retention of money after it's been accumulated. I will give you an example of the lottery winners. How many of them, even they, though they've accumulated money by more or less luck, so many of them don't use their knowledge to retain the money that came in their in their possession. But he, he gives us over and over, and of course, uh, of the uh, of the uh, uh, mastermind. He talked about infant intelligence with the aid of creative uh, imagination as a, as a, as one of the steps toward riches. And he, he, he called the imagination, the workshop of the mind. And, and it's, um, it's really a, a place where plans and desires are given shape, form and action. Again, this is where, that's where the use of other people because accumulated experience is the use of other people's knowledge, both the experience and research that they can do together to accomplish uh, what they have in mind. He, he gave so many wonderful examples uh, throughout the thing. Um, he, he, his definition, I think, can't be improved on. He's defined a mastermind as a coordination of knowledge and effort in a spirit of harmony between two or more people for the attainment of a definite purpose. And it's really, it's, uh, really an important definition because a lot of people can work together, but it's, it, but it's teamwork if we're not working after the same uh, same definite purpose. For example, uh, people go to work at a factory. The woman may be working until she saves up money for a down payment. Somebody else is working to just put food on the table. Now, some of them may have a spouse that's employed, and they're working, uh, working to assist in catching up their bills or college tuition or whatever. But there's a distinction made between mastermind and just working. And uh, he said... He, he compared it when there's two or more minds actually creates a, a third mind. He, he said, which is much greater than the than the minds separate when they're when they're once combined because we pick up ideas and experience and intelligence uh, from each other. And Don, I think, can I can I can I ask you a question about that before we go any further? Yes. A couple of thoughts come to my mind just to kind of put this out there. Most everybody attributes a leader, a, a really good leader, to somebody that knows how to take the efforts of other people to achieve the mission, to, it, to be able to inspire people for the mission. And so it sounds to me like the mastermind group is directly related to that, um, to be able to – the word synergy comes to mind, where, where the, the sum of the parts – uh, is, is greater than the individual parts added together. You know, the, the, Steve, that's absolutely right. He used different examples in different places in his writings over the years, and one of them I think was a prime one was Roosevelt uh, at the uh, Depression. He said where the parties came together, we was in a we was in bad condition economically, and he said the parties worked together in a spirit of mastermind and harmony. They wasn't working as Democrats or Republicans. They were working for the good of the United States citizens. And I guess the most famous one of all, he compared Mahatma Gandhi, who we know read Hill's material and helped spread it in, in India. He said they had a common goal. 
thing the Indian people did, which was to rid of of uh, Britain's uh, uh, ownership of uh, of the country, and uh, they was able to accomplish that without firing a shot. They got their freedom from uh, Britain by him having everybody have one common goal that the people in India, which was to rid of uh, British uh, ownership. And he gave that as, a, as an example of a large one. But uh, it starts off with having a common purpose and, then, of course, picking people that can work in harmony. And he gave different places he gave how to select people. And I often see people go in business, and they, they may have a mind thinking it. First thing they'll do is they'll pick a friends or they'll pick relatives or or, uh, or whatever, which is not a good uh, which is not a good uh, uh, reason to pick someone. The person uh, chosen or, or more, one or more should be people who can work in harmony, have a common goal, but also have something to contribute. Uh, you know, if an, you know nothing about putting up buildings and you want to build some buildings. You better find somebody that's got some experience in doing that in architecture and the other people. So each person should be able to contribute something to the group. If you pick people that knows less than you do about what you're doing, you know, it's dangerous when you're the smartest person in the room. you got to get with some people that can contribute to what you're trying to do. Otherwise, you've just got a bunch of people that's more likely not going to succeed. Don, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, you and I both know that everything that Napoleon Hill has, has passed on to the world basically comes from biblical principles of the Bible. And, and you yourself, you know, your, your book is very clear that it's biblically based, and I, I, I love that. I, I, was, I was thinking about the mastermind group and how we want to teach people about it with our stated goal to be able to help people have a better life and, and learn learn ways to do that. Obviously, surrounding yourself with people that can help you do things that you're not as good as they are, to have other people put some of their abilities into what it is you're trying to do is, is one way to, to move towards success. Well, in the Bible, I think it's in... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about how each one of us, God has given gifts to. And so I think that might be a starting point for where the mastermind group comes from, is that each one of us has our unique gifts. Some people are, are, are kind of quiet, some people are outward, but if you can take people and, and, and all of us work together with other people that have strengths that we don't have, and we can we can have them want to help us succeed, and we want them to succeed. I think that's the core of the mastermind. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. And Hill wrote about, matter of fact, Hill wrote about Jesus and his uh, and his uh, uh, disciples. Uh, you know, he he picked the uh, disciples, and um, and of course, each one of them served a purpose, and he knew what that purpose was. I mean, even from uh, even from, from the one that uh, that betrayed him, uh, I mean that was part of the uh, prophecy that had to be fulfilled. And uh, you know, you wondered about that. He, he talked about it in, in the in the book, but uh, but uh, 
I've even uh, thought about the thing is that this, why did he pick different people? He picked tax collectors and fishermen and so forth and so forth. And but he each one of them served a purpose. You know, he could have picked he could have picked a group of uh, uh, rabbis who had been nothing they'd done. They'd been but uh, be in a uh, building and and study, 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 and they would have, all had the common uh, uh, theme and probably not uh, uh, contribute much. But he got people from different walks of life, a tax collector and a fisherman, and so forth, and he knew exactly what he was doing. But as a group, they serve the purpose to carry out the prophecy of the Bible, which is, I think, I think is important. And Steve, he probably wrote more on uh, Carnegie than anybody. Uh, you know, the Carnegie's uh, uh, life is just, uh, just uh, amazing. You know, coming over here as a ten-year-old boy and working for a little more than a dollar a week at the age of ten, and same as no education. Um, but uh, he became a part of a group. Um, and uh, in fact, is one of the uh, one of the gentlemen he worked with let the boys go by his home on Saturdays, and they could check his books out. And he he became an avid reader, and uh, that will be the secret, as far as I'm concerned, of why Carnegie gave millions and millions of dollars to set up libraries. Uh, he got his uh, education through books, reading everything that the Western uh, civilization on down he could get a till he he could get a hold of. But uh, he formed a mastermind group. He'll explained uh, when he wanted to develop steel, for example, he saw the the industries as fragmented. You know, some company made a little bit this, and one made the other this and that. So he went to England and studied it. Now, of course, he, he had a very, very, very limited education, and he did not understand steelmaking. He didn't understand a lot of things, but he did understand the bill that you must work with other people. So he comes back and he organized his mastermind, and he said it was basically, um, at times, 20, 20 people, uh, a group that... Uh, he picked the best chemists he could find, the steelmaking. He picked the best attorneys he thought, best accountants, and, and so forth. And he called it his uh, he called it his uh, his mastermind group. And uh, it uh, he said sometimes it was 50 men or more with a definite purpose of making and marketing of steel. And the competitors, people out there, they thought, oh, he's going to create a monopoly and he's going to raise the price of steel. But they'll go back and see their history. They'll say that he cut the price dramatically because through his consolidation and through the use of this mastermind, he was actually able to do it much more efficiently than what it had been what it had been uh, what had been done. Uh, uh, and he says the power of the mastermind was what contributed to his the fortune any fortune that he uh, that he accumulated. John, and, and uh, Napoleon Hill, when he was developing and writing about the mastermind, I think he started writing about it in Laws of Success first, and then uh, and then about 10 years later, he got very, very much deeper with it and thinking grow rich. And in Laws of Success, when I've read through that many times, he, he talks about that invisible that invisible uh, force that's created, the uh the third mind. If two if two people come together, the mastermind creates a third invisible mind. Is is that that's very very deep. Uh, I, I'd like to go back to that for a minute. Uh, 
No two minds ever come together without thereby creating a third invisible, intangible force, which may be liking to a third mind. So part of the power of the mastermind, uh, it's almost supernatural. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, yes, it is. I mean, you know, it's like an, it's like one and one don't equal two. One and one equals four or ten or whatever, what, according to how good your uh, selection of mastermind is. Yeah, you create a force a lot greater than what the separately they'd add up to separately because you create a different, uh, or you create a different atmosphere, a different climate, uh, because one of them, you would ask a question and, uh, and, uh, of, did we think about this, which would bring someone else to think up of something else, and it just keeps and it just keeps expanding until uh, that's where we get that from him. The only limitations that we have are those that we set up in our own minds, and um, I think we just surprise ourselves that uh, if we get started. And of course, most people never get started. They even may make plans and may even have a definite purpose but unless they take action on them. And that's the reason it's so much easier if you have the support and the influence of someone else, even if it's your spouse, that rather than having someone work against you, uh, working in a spirit of harmony, so much more can, uh, so much more can be accomplished. Um, he said uh, that in his, with his, uh, with his um, uh, uh, mastermind said he was able to get out of a life of, Poverty and um, uh, illiteracy and ignorance, and, and he overcome it with all three of them with a the mastermind. He said in ten years he accomplished great things, and in twenty five years he made his fortune. And it was because uh, he made him the richest man in America at the time. And he attributed it to the mastermind principle. And of course, he gave other examples too. You know, he gave Ford. Ford's an excellent example. Uh, Ford had uh, little or no education. His first mastermind was his actually his wife. When he was working on uh, actually the carburetor of the car to get the engine to uh, uh, fire, and uh, and she loaned him, uh, let him have the money to get the parts to put that thing together. So she was his first financial backer. But uh, you know, and Ford he got with such people as uh, as Harvey Firestone and uh, and uh, John Burroughs and, and Luther Burbank and uh, and so forth and. Uh, it's just just amazing. Um, he said, "What evidence of prior produces to friendly uh, cooperation with uh, with friends?" Well, Don, I'm not sure where I got it from. I, I've been I've been a devotee of Napoleon Hill for 45 plus years, and over the years, I I wanted to help people. And I've passed on the concept of the mastermind group literally hundreds of times to, to friends and other people that I've, that I've tried to, to share it with. And I, I'd like to take this opportunity to, to give you my simple version of the mastermind in action and, and have you sort of uh, take it from there. One of the things about the master, one of the things about the mastermind group that I that I've learned, and I mean there's so many variations of it is what I'm trying to say. Once you learn to to work closely with other people toward a common goal, and you recognize your own limitations, you can multiply the the abilities that you have by enlisting the support of other people. 
And so here's how I kind of, kind of, kind of learned it at one time. It's like you're the center, the hub in, of a wheel. You're the, you're the cog in a wheel. And what you do when you create your own mastermind group is you surround yourself with people that you could call your personal board of directors, kind of after the corporate structure where there's a formal board of directors. And then the next thing is when you have a board of directors that you choose and each one of the people that you select should have expertise in areas that you yourself need more, more development. For example, when I started one of my businesses, I knew that sales wasn't my strong point and that I sales and marketing. So I enlisted a friend of mine named John Prince, and he was a sales and marketing expert. He was up there in New York, and he was working with a uh, advertising agency on Madison Avenue. And so here, here's kind of kind of how it works. One of the criteria of a successful mastermind group is that you have to have a genuine concern for the well-being and success of the people that you ask to be on your group and that they have to share that for you, that they have to want you to be successful. Now, that's a beautiful thing to connect with people that want to be successful, that they want you to be successful. But here's the trick. There's no exchange of money. You don't pay each other. So if I can get the services of a top Madison Avenue advertising marketing executive that could be a four or $500 an hour consultant to want to help me at no cost, hey, that's a beautiful thing. I'll save a lot of money. But here's the, here's the trick. You cannot accept someone to be on your mastermind group unless you can reciprocate and do something for them. Otherwise, it's just a consulting relationship. Do you agree with that premise so far? Yeah, and, and, and it's, it has to be an exchange. Uh, I've, I've given talks exactly on what you're talking about. And of course, and sometimes to get people to work as a, as a group, it doesn't have to be money. It can be a cause they have. You, yours could be money, but they could, theirs could be a cause. For example, I use Michael Jordan. I believe his last year he made $75 million. Now, if you was involved in something or other, and you wanted to, wanted him, wanted his uh, his uh, uh, cooperation, or what have you, you would have to find something that's his uh, that would interest him. And of course, it would not be money. I mean, you could pay him enough money, I guess, but a few thousand or whatever it would mean nothing to him. But if you was finding something that involves something, he has a passion, like his old school in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina. Uh, where he's, I think he's, he didn't even make a make a basketball team when he first tried out. Uh, something or other he has a passion for. You know, people have passion for different causes. If it's something or other that'll promote something that they have a passion for, you can get their cooperation without without money. And uh, that's that's important. Is something that they are willing to contribute to help you. They have to be something for them. Also, you can't expect it to be a one-way street. Otherwise, you're just begging. You have to find out what gets their attention. I mean, just like I'm president of the foundation board here at the college and have been, and our students graduated last year 
with the lowest debt load of any four-year college in the United States. Quite an accomplishment. And I've been president of the foundation board for, uh, I guess, 15 years or longer. And uh, uh, we're both in a poverty-stricken area, especially these last eight years being a coal mining area. But you have to find out what people's interest are that's got money that's wanting to help you. And it's uh, uh, it's important to know that because just to ask someone to help you, they get people every day. I mean, can you imagine how many how many contacts that some of them people uh, get at you at uh, wanting somebody to uh, do something or another for them? And basically, they're to one way street. They're wanting something or another, but they never think so, about what they can give back. That's where he was. So, oh, oh, yeah. I'm well, sorry to interrupt there. That's okay. Uh, he'll so, he'll uh, explain that. You know, if you want something or another, if you want corn, if you want something, you have to plant a seed. You have to do something to entirely to receive it. You know, if you don't, if you want to raise corn, you have to first plant the seed. And if you want somebody to help you, you got to give them some reason to. Of course, you want their help, but if it's not a, a something, an idea, or something planted into their minds, you're not very likely to get it. But most people, it never enters them in their mind. What can I do them to entice them to help me? It's a two-way street. I'll give you a real simple example of of what some people would never realize how it can work. So, under the example of John Prince, the marketing executive that was helping me, so I needed his services, but I wasn't sure what I could give him. Once it's established that the person that you ask to be on your mastermind group genuinely, genuinely cares about your success and your well-being, then that's, that's half the game to identify somebody that cares about you that you also care about. But the statement that I'm going to make now and I think is cheap. If you can get somebody that's an expert at something that wants to see you succeed, and you don't have to, you don't have to pay them. Not only do you save the, the, the money, you're going to learn what it is that you need to learn so much better than if you had paid some consultant to teach it to you. If if I if I hired a consultant to teach me how to do a marketing sales campaign, and they charge me a couple hundred dollars an hour, and I buy ten or twelve hours of their work for twenty five hundred dollars, well, they've got a profit motive, you've got to support their overhead, and they're going to teach you a lot, but they also might not teach you everything you need to learn because they're going to have future income from you if they're doing a pretty good job for you so you can continue to buy their services. So what I use as my example is this. If, If I need John Prince's services and I know he likes to fish, and, and I've got another friend that has a vacation home in Nags Head, which is a, uh, a beach community outside of Norfolk area. And I call up my friend and I say, hey, can I use your beach house one weekend in the next month or so? And he says, yes, Steve, and it gives me the weekend that's available. So I call John Prince up and I say to him, I know he likes to fish. I say, hey, John. I've got a beach house in three weeks. How about going down there with me for the weekend and uh, 
we'll stay down there, and I'll take care of the food and all the beer. I don't drink beer, but he does. And uh, let's go down there and have a have a weekend where we can just put some poles in the water and sit on the beach and talk. Well, okay, he accepts my invitation. When we get down there, John Prince knows that I've got this business that I'm working on, and I need a formal business plan. He makes it his desire the whole weekend to make sure that he educates me in all aspects of the business plan that I need done as a thank you for giving him a weekend where he's down there being taken care of. That, that's a free exchange where one person does something for another and the other person reciprocates. And here's my final statement on that example. What John Prince is going to teach me, he's going to make sure that I learn it because he cares about me and he's not doing it for money. What do you, what do you think of that example? I've been using that example for years. Yeah, I think it's tremendous because, like we said about uh, Michael Jordan and a lot of other people, a lot of people are not driven by, by money. I mean, you get to that point is uh, what I do, I have a love for it for the simple reason. I know what the outcome is, yet I'm helping, uh, well, I can tell you through the foundation and through my own self is I'm helping 50-some kids go to college, uh, you know, and that's what and that's what I'm doing it for is the satisfaction I get out of it, and uh, and and people know that that contribute. It, that's what that's what I'm doing. But uh, uh, it's it's different things that motivate someone. You know, if a person is hungry, of course it would be food. You know, when your basic needs are satisfied, then after that it's what your wants are. If it's obviously your your advertising uh, genius. Is not looking for just money, and he's got food, clothing, and shelter, three basics. But the, the other things, what drives him is things that he wants, and one of, one of them is fishing, and you was able to satisfy that want. And sometimes our wants are really, really, really strong at what ends people will go to, to to satisfy not their needs, but what their wants are. And we know today that wants drive the market. Uh, Eisenhower said it real well. He said, if all you want out of life is food, clothing, and shelter, you get all three of them in prison. But life's a lot more than that. But people have different wants that drive them, and it's important if we're dealing with someone that we find out what it is. And you found out his was fishing, and uh, it was easier to deal with him once you found out what his passion was uh, outside of making money and taking care of his basic needs in life. Don, I, I, I had a, uh, an inmate in a, uh, in a prison a couple years back who really liked this type of thinking, and he saw that it could help him achieve things that he might not be able to do by himself, which is a specific purpose of employing the power of a mastermind group. It's to be able to, to move toward achievement that you need help from others. And uh, I, got a, I got a quote from Ecclesiastics that that my wife gave me this morning, and it's uh, two are better than one because they have a good return to the, for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
that's Ecclesiastics uh, yeah, four. I, I, I remember. I remember that. I'll tell you a personal experience I, I learned from. It was April. I remember it was still kind of cold. I spoke outside of Hersey, Pennsylvania, uh, last year, and uh, one of the people we contributed to was uh, was uh, 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 dogs that uh, assist people. And I noticed that you know they had the dogs there, and I, I wondered would you see people they always got a big dog. They were they look like a lab or something or another. And the lady, one of the trainers, said, I didn't realize what training they go through with. And it's real, real simple. The dog is trained. If that person falls down, the dog lays down beside of them, and they can brace herself against the dog and help themselves up. I said, I mean, even even an animal understands that can be taught that. You know, I wondered why they had to have such big dogs. But the, a big dog can assist them. Or it lays down where the person's at. And the person can use the dog uh, to his leverage to help them get help them get themselves up. I thought it was just remarkable, but I didn't know that, and I still wouldn't know it. I guess if I didn't uh, hadn't attended that uh, attended that thing in uh, in Pennsylvania and uh, and saw the demonstration and so forth put on in the place we had we'd contributed uh, money to. So it was quite a quite a thing that even um, even animals uh, 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 learn to uh, uh, to support. Uh, uh, to support each other. Well, that's a beautiful thing. I, I had someone ask me a few years back, how many mastermind groups can one person be involved in? <laughs> and I, I really like that question because I, I want to I hit you with this. Once you understand the mastermind group, it's a way of handling yourself in relation with other people. And it is absolutely unlimited. My answer to that person, you can be in an unlimited number of mastermind groups because it's based on relationship. It's based on caring. My, my personal goal, Don, is to be involved with everybody that I'm involved in in a caring way. In other words, I want to be involved with everybody in a caring way. That means that I want to put others in front of myself and just know that I'll be taken care of because I'm not concerned about myself. And so if you learn how to interact with other people, always trying to have them succeed in whatever it is they want to succeed in, then, my gosh, I think the world can be uh, a whole lot better for each one of us if all of us approach each other in a, trying to help each other and putting their needs in front of our own. Oh, you! I think you hit it. Uh, one of my—I pick a verse for the year, and and uh, and uh, one year it was Acts twenty thirty-five, which is more blessed to give than receive, and that's a sad lesson that that most people don't learn in life. You know, and maturely we go through four stages uh, with getting money to satisfy our basic needs: food, clothing, and shelter. And the second one that uh, we might not be able to work and need. To, and, and need uh, something or other to sustain us. The third one, we would call good life, being able to travel, and so forth, um, uh, and and going out to eat, uh, you know, entertainment, whatever. You. But the fourth one, which gets us down to the end of the cycle, is we're in a position uh, to make a difference in the lives of others of our own choosing. If you want to choose to help church, St. Jude's, uh, uh, your grandchildren, college, or whatever, and most people, sadly, they never get that. But because I think they never learn in the early stages to learn how to give, 
because what we give is multiplied many times over. He'll uh, equate it to planting a seed. He give an example of a Kansas farmer that planted some seeds, and he and he did not eat the crop first crop. He planted it back. I believe it was on the fifth year. The crop yielded one hundred sixty thousand dollars worth of wheat. He started off with a thimble full of uh, wheat seeds, and but he div- demonstrated that, that nature operates the same same way. We uh, principle that we get back much more than what we give out. Now we might not get it in the same manner. manner. It may be uh, it may come through some other means, but uh, we have to think that when we're doing good, that we're going to be rewarded in some some fashion. So, Don, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, we got about eight minutes or so left in the show. The purpose of my, my radio program is basically to, to be there for people that are going through hardship and for those that are trying to help people that are going through hardship. Could you give some, some direction to the many people that are at a very, very low place in life where they're close or have already given up hope. They don't believe that they can get through the current difficulties that they're going through. And and what we're trying to show people today is that through the use of the mastermind group, you can have a far, far greater chance towards success. So could you maybe speak directly to anybody that's listening that is at a low place to try to get them to get started, to take that step and, and how to move forward by employing the mastermind group? Well, I, I can, first thing I come to mind is years ago when they had that Tusami in, uh, in Malaysia and those islands over in the far in the Orient, and there were 250, 300,000 people drowned. And we did a, we actually did a fundraiser, the foundation did, and um, it was by donations. People couldn't listen to people uh, talk and so forth and so on. And one of, the, one of the people I met was a psychologist, and I thought he explained it real well. He said that uh, at, uh, one of the uh, people were over there talking, uh, one man walks up to and says, I understand you lost everything you had. He said, oh, no, I didn't. I still got my family. So it was a viewpoint. It's really easy to be having trouble and think you're the only one in the world. But here's what he said was, he's a psychologist, and I've read something very similar to it, was he never saw a depressed person that stayed depressed very long that was involved in helping someone else. In other words, don't sit there and say, poor little old me, I'm the only one that's lost a job. I'm the only one that lost money and investment. I'm the only one that ever lost a spouse. But even the sermon yesterday was a, was a minister. He's a well-educated guy, CPA, and had the call to go back to school to uh, become a minister. But he said, you know, we're stronger. We're much stronger after we go through that testing. I don't know why we do it, but we are. And we got to accept that fact is that things are going to be better. The sun will come up the next day if we concentrate on uh, something else rather than the trouble that we're having. We're a better person, even after the life of a loved one. It changes you, believe me. I'm telling you from personal experience, you start looking for more ways that you can help other people and you can make a difference in other people's lives. And to people that's down and out is, don't sit there and think, hey, it's not helping, nobody helping to me. 
Steve, one of the things I remember when I was picking up pop bottles, my mom didn't hand money out. My dad worked in the mines, and she would tell us something like that. We can't waste our money or dad may get hurt or even killed working in the coal mines crawling around on his knees. And so it was necessary. We want a quarter to go mow some yards, uh, pick up, learn to pick up pop bottles with a sack and walk for miles to get, maybe not get more than a 25 cents or something other. But the little store would trade the bottles in for a penny apiece. He had a little sign by the cash register underneath the glass, and I read it as a kid. I probably may have been 10 years old, but I can remember it like it was yesterday. He had a sign, it looked like a newspaper clipping out of a magazine or something, you know, tape to the tape underneath that. You could read it through the glass. It said, I complained because I had no shoes until one day I met a man who had no feet. And all we got to do is be thankful for what we got and not concentrate on what we don't have because it doesn't get us anywhere. You know, we could deceive you and I could say, well, I knew kids are at Corvettes in school and they had this and that and so forth. Like I told them at college one day, one of the student representatives said the biggest problem in college was a lack of student parking. I said, you know, that's weird. I went to school out here, two-year college. We didn't have that problem. Oh, you didn't? I said, no, we didn't have cars. <laughs> so, so, so it's it's real easy to it's real easy to concentrate on what you don't have, rather than be thankful for what you do have. Well, Don, absolutely right. I, I just love to hear you tell that story about the man with 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 no shoes until he saw a man with no feet. That's that that's about as direct to the heart as it gets. Now, how about a guy? How about a guy that's uh, living in uh, poverty, and he can't he can't afford to feed his family, and and he doesn't really know how to network with other people. I would think that the lesson that we want to help that young man with, or that person, would be to learn how to connect with other people so that he can start to move forward and eventually create his own mastermind group. Well, I agree. Uh, you, you know, the uh, I have a story. With, I have a a partner we mastermind we try to have lunch one day a week we've done lots of we've done lots of real estate you know we sold land to walmart we had dry cleaners spring water uh business so we did dollar stores we did we did lots of stuff together and um he had some convenience stores and uh, matter of fact he's in my first class and he sold his convenience store which i was not a part of but he sold out for walked away with 45 million dollars and all he, he had my class, and we used to exchange tapes. But he but he banked with me. But we was coming out of a of a restaurant one day, and the man was in the parking lot. I did not know him, but my partner did. And he said, "Do you ever get you a job?" He said, "No." And he said, "Where all of you applied?" He said, "Nowhere." He said, "There's nobody, no use to nobody's hiring." Well, now that guy's not likely to get a job. I guess if I was out of work, I would start making some phone calls. But I'd be sure to go to church. And let people know that I wasn't working and what I was capable of doing. And as I heard an old boy said, was any job is better than no job. So uh, you know, I, a little girl waited on me at, at Reno's, and she's all happy, and she made all kinds of mistakes and ordered whatever, which I thought was funny, and I still tipped her well because she had just finished college, and she's working to make her a little bit of money, and she was going to be a, a, a doctor's physician. And I said, I told her, I said, Hannah, I know why you're so happy. She said, why is that? I said, because you don't look at being a waitress two or three years from now. You're looking at being a doctor's assistant. 
And she said, you're absolutely right. I said, but so many people get hung up on where they're at, and they they can't see where they want to be. They keep thinking about where they are. Remember the verse from Job, without a vision, my people perish? We have to concentrate and think about where we want to be rather than where we are. That's beautiful. You know, know, Don, in summary, we're going to go off the air in about a minute here. It's about change. It's about people having a desire to change because a person is the only one that can have themselves change. And they can have mentors like you and me or others, but ultimately it's their choice to make that change. And so I would like to encourage everybody to go to the Napoleon Hill website, N-A-P-H-I-L-L.org, naphill.org, and read further. The, the mastermind concept is very, very wonderful, and there's so much to it. I hope that we've given you some, some encouragement to start learning more about it so that you can add it to your own way of doing things. Go to rightthink.org, my website, R-I-G-H-T-T-H-I-N-K.org, for more information, and I would just like to tell everyone that it's been a it's been a, a a pleasure and an honor to have y'all listen to Don and I today. And Don, as always, thank you so much for giving your time to to us today to to learn more to help make the world a better place. And I look forward to the next time we can have you on the show. Thanks, Steve. And just one thing, and signing off. If you remember, change your mind, you can change your life. Thank you, Don. That's a beautiful thought to end the show with. And God bless everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. I look forward to being with you again next week. And remember, don't quit. Plan ahead. It will get better. God bless you and have a great week.